2: Hitler! No, that's two. not how that's done. That's Sophie, how that's Sophie, done. Sophie. <laughs> we did it. I always promise we do it again. That's our. Ah, that's everyone's favorite intro, is when is. I that's just atonally shouted intro. Hitler.
4: I'm not worth well, that at all. Well, t- we're talking about Hitler today.
2: This is Behind the Bastards, a podcast yes. about the worst people in all of history. I'm Robert Evans, and this is actually a special mini series of Behind the Bastards called Behind the Insurrections. Uh, last episode, we talked about Benito Mussolini's March on Rome. This episode, we're talking about another fascist insurrection directly inspired by the March on Rome and carried out by Bastards Pod's side character and main character, Adolf Hitler. Uh, we're talking about the Munich Beer Hall Putsch today. Ooh,
5: yeah, Light it
2: on fire, baby. Mm-hmm. Light it on so fire. Awful.
5: Insurrection. Yeah. I realize mm. I should probably reference where I got that from. Oh, yeah? Where'd it you get that from? It's... Okay. So Common, the actor. Uh-huh. I'm
4: going to call him the actor?
5: I'm finishing. That is an interesting Common choice. Since Sense, the rapper. Okay. Okay. And okay, okay. Yes. And it, one could argue of the top 10 list of greatest rap albums of all time, Common may hold two of those slots. One of which... Is an album called Resurrection. And that's where I got that from was because he's saying resurrection. So I was just saying insurrection, deep cut, unnecessary piece of information. But you can pull that out next time somebody try to judge you about your pop culture
2: stuff beautiful thank you i'm more excited about the fact that he was common sense and then he got into hollywood and decided to drop the sense
5: yeah which no you, completely know, what I, I know, right? you know what happened <laughs> there was a uh there's a band out here in la like a local band who sued him whose name That's was p- common sense and they were like a, almost like a 311 sublime like white boy reggae band incredible and they sued him for the name they were like we were common sense first and i mean i feel like
2: I feel like you can't copyright the word or name common sense. Yes.
4: <laughs> like, okay.
2: but, but they won. So he was like, all right, whatever, common. And then became a uh, list celebrity. Wait. I was just going to say, speaking of people who won, we yes. should talk about Hitler, um, at least for a while, but not yeah. in this particular story, although no. eventually,
5: at least at this Beer moment when, when yeah. this particular story ends. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the story. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. This particular story is yeah. with Nazi defeat, but the broader story of the Nazis is more complicated than that. Yes. So I think we're going to start here by talking about the city of Munich uh, because generally when people talk Nazis, they wind up kind of focusing on Berlin. Um, yeah. But Munich is where the National Socialist Germans uh, Workers Party, the NSDAP, the Nazis, that's where they came from. That's the birthplace yeah. of the Nazi movement is Munich. And if you look a little bit into Munich's history, it makes sense. Um, Munich is a city in the German state of Bavaria, um, and Bavaria is historically the most conservative part of Germany. It's kind of like Texas, uh, mm. in that even after German unification in 1870, Bavarians tended to see themselves as different and other from, like, the rest of Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're German, sure, but we're more Bavarian, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's this this the attitude that you do kind of see, like, Texans have a bit of this, right? Like, where mm-hmm. we're our own Thing so that's always big in Bavaria and there's this kind of like traditionalism. They have their own monarchy that's separate from the Kaiser, right? Yeah. Like the Kaiser's in charge of Bavaria still, but they also have their own king. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of Bavarians who aren't super into the idea of being part of Germany, right? Because they okay. they they're more Bavarian than anything. Yeah. Now. Adolf Hitler, who was again an Austrian so he's not really a German uh, by the consideration of a lot of Germans he moves to Munich in 1913 mainly because he was getting drafted to go join the Austrian army and he yeah. didn't want to join the Austrian army so he's a draft dodger and he moves to Munich to avoid serving his time in the military. Huh. Um, and, and just based on what happens, less, this is less because Hitler was, Hitler was not scared of being in the military, he didn't yeah. like Austria, he thought it was yeah. like racially polluted yeah. um, and so he moved to Munich because it was more in line with his right wing sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so he rented a cheap room and he made a poverty level income in Munich, painting pictures of like famous buildings in town because it's a beautiful city and selling them to tourists. And this yeah. was like a, a, a whole industry in, yeah. in Munich. A bunch of, of little artists would paint pictures of local buildings and sell them as like keepsakes to tourists. Hitler was kind of unique among these artists because while most of them would actually go out to where those buildings were with like an easel and paint the buildings and then sell them pictures and stuff, Hitler would buy cheap postcards of those buildings and paint alone in his room, where he spent most of his time reading fringe political tracts and, one presumes, masturbating furiously. Seriously. We have to assume. Yeah, yes. Just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he was, I mean, he was a pretty right-wing guy, but yeah, he's he's pounding it in, in his little <laughs> office. Um, and painting from postcards. Um, and he's not a very good artist, no, which no, is... No, no.
4: You One of the call key His office, little.
2: Because uh, he lived in like a tiny little. Uh, it really room was that He was little. renting <laughs> from a lady. He he was he was, that was very objectively poor. True, his office so, was little. Yeah. When I Hitler like,
4: I, I thought we were just putting him down for no reason. No, no no. He, no, no. It was objectively. little. <laughs> he was
2: extremely poor. So when Hitler <laughs> yeah. moved to Munich, he had just finished being like a homeless person in in Vienna. Like he'd lived in like a men's home and stuff for like people who couldn't afford. Um, to stay off the street and whatnot. So he had just gotten out of like a really dire financial situation. Um, And actually part of why he was in a dire financial situation is he inherited money from his mom, but then his sister needed it for her kids. And so he gave up his inheritance to her, Um, which, you know, kind of is evidence that like everyone who turns out terrible, there was a period of time in which Hitler might not have wound up being Hitler. Yeah. Um, So anyway, important to keep in mind. So Hitler's living in Munich. He's painting shitty paintings, tugging it all the time. Um, And reading a bunch of like reactionary right wing zines, like poorly mimeographed newsletters about the dangers of the Jews. That's like a huge thing Hitler's doing in this period. Some
5: things never change, man. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like it's like he's like hanging out on the the day's equivalent of 8chan, which is like these tracts that are being passed out Uh in the street. So when World War One kicks off uh, and, you know, in this period, right, the Archdukes assassinated, as we talked about last time, but in, mm-hmm. in the run up to World War One, Benito Mussolini's furiously trying to get his country, Italy, involved in the war. Yeah. Um, Germany goes to war with the world um, and yeah. Hitler immediately joins up and becomes an infantryman, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's almost immediately thrown into one of the most horrifying battles in not just like the whole war, but like ever. It's known colloquially as the slaughter of the innocents yeah. because the Germans sent tens of Thousands of basically children to die to yeah. like uh, Allied machine guns. A horrible battle. Yeah. Um, now, at the same time as Hitler's watching his friends get mowed down in the trenches, uh, Hermann Goering, who would become his future second in command, is becoming one of the first fighter pilots in history. Goering mm. flew with Manfred von Richthofen, uh, the Red Baron's flying circus. He took command of the squadron after Richthofen got killed in 1918. Mm. And he got something, he shot down like 29 planes. So he's an extremely good fighter pilot. Yeah. And is like a dad, becomes like a dashing national hero now another big nazi you might know heinrich himmler uh was too young to serve during world war one he came from that awkward generation where you were too young to fight in the first world war and he would have been too old to fight in the second and so his entire youth was spent like idolizing these soldiers going off to die in france who he was unable to join now, another fella who went to war in 1914 was Ernst Poner. Now, Poner was a middle-aged... I know, it's a rough name. Oof, yeah. You, you gotta give the guy some Poor credit guy. for... Yeah. It's a real Aww. cross to bear. So, yeah. Poner grew up uh, or Poner was like a middle-aged, conservative, educated Bavarian, pretty right-wing guy when the war mm-hmm. starts. And he was commissioned as an infantry officer and eventually rose to regimental command. Now, despite being a Bavarian to his soul and thus being kind of like separate from the rest of Germans, fighting in the war gives him this sense of like unity with the rest of Germany and he he starts to feel like a member of this like this unified nation for the first time in his life and in fact all of Bavaria was brought closer in step to the rest of Germany as a result of the war the region industrialized rapidly to provide armaments and as the German state devoted itself increasingly to becoming an engine of arms production um, Bavaria becomes like a big part of that particularly Nuremberg Um, or not I think uh, yeah I think it might have been it was was Nuremberg I'm, I'm not great on all the other Germans But like Bavaria starts industrializing heavily. And their their Um, military was like. I mean, impre- just the ob- best in the ob- world incredibly good yeah like yeah like like Germany objectively amazing yeah goes up against the entire rest of the world in World War One and comes pretty close to winning they like, almost yeah like, yeah, they they, almost like it's not like World yeah, War Two yeah. where after a while yeah, like they're yeah. almost they almost yeah. pulled it they off almost won yeah yeah um, so the Kaiser's propaganda had forbidden so like and, and that's actually part of the problem is that right up until the end of the war Germany could win it it's not, yeah. again not like World War Two where after nineteen forty. Forty-three. Everyone can see the writing on the wall. Yeah. Up until like late nineteen eighteen, Germany could pull that shit off. Yeah. Um, and. This is co- sort of compounded in the minds of German people who see their soldiers winning by the Kaiser's propaganda yeah. because the Kaiser had forbidden journalists from reporting on the dire situation in the West. Um, so, number one, Germany's in a pretty good position most of the war. They knock Romania and Russia out of the fight. So they beat like two powers, including yeah. Russia, which is like a fifth of the world's landmass. Yeah, which they- is... unheard of at the time. Yeah. Yeah. They conquer Ukraine, um, like get it in a treaty basically. Mm -hmm. And they spend most of the war within spitting distance of Paris. Mm -hmm. So on a map, Germans spend most of that war thinking like we're winning. This is tough. We're losing a lot of men, but like, we're going to win this thing. Yeah. Now, The situation on the map belied some crucial realities, including the fact that as the war went on, Germany was completely hollowed out of soldiers, of supplies, and of food. Three quarters of a million German civilians starved to death as a result of the Allied blockade. Um, By the time Germany surrenders in the winter of 1918, its army is on the very brink of collapse. The generals who are in charge at the end, a guy named Eric Ludendorff, who you might remember from the Wonder Woman movie. Yes. (laughs) He's the bad guy in Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, but was a real dude. Yeah. Um, and Paul von Hindenburg, who was his his co-general, were not the ones to accept failure gracefully, right? Like yeah. both of them had some victories to their name, both of them made some major strategic errors at the end that were a big factor in German defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the Germans lose, they don't stay on deck to be like, Hey guys, we tried our best, we fought as hard as anyone could fight, and we got our nah. we we just lost. They yeah. they fucking bounce. Like <laughs> as soon as it becomes clear they're so- going to surrender they're fucking out of there yeah yeah Yeah, so whack (laughs) go Yeah, Yeah. And they they hand over responsibility For negotiating Germany's surrender Because the Kaiser also bounces Like that motherfucker's off to Belgium on a train (laughs) So so all of the people who'd gotten Germany Into war and had like pushed the war The whole time leave and Put the responsibility for negotiating the Surrender on the social democrat Dominated Reichstag so Mm -hmm. Germany overnight is a social democracy And also the liberals who Had been most a lot of them anti-war Up to that point now have to Deal with negotiating Germany's yeah. surrender. Meanwhile, the guys who were responsible for losing the war start concocting a narrative that the left had stabbed the German army in the back. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why they lost. And when I say the left, I also mean the Jews, because that's yes. what they mean, right? Like they're mean. not, yeah. yeah. The left, and it's the same when people talk about cultural Marxism today, right? Uh-huh. The term back then was Judeo Bolshevism, yeah. but it's the same idea, right? Yeah. So the first days and weeks after Germany's defeat, there were just a bunch of revolutions all throughout these different cities in Germany, and a lot of them were left-wing. Bavaria was not spared in this wave of unrest. As you said, there was a strong, while Bavaria is very conservative, in Munich in particular, there's a very vibrant left-wing. And several days before Germany signs the armistice on November 11th, on like November 7th, this huge crowd assembles in Munich, and they force the Bavarian king to leave his throne. Now, the guy who orchestrated this was a dude named Kurt Eisner, and he's the head of the Bavarian Social Democratic Party. And mm-hmm. his goal was to, you know, what he did, he wanted to kick out the king and establish a Bavarian Republic. Yeah. Now, that worked for a little while, the unfortunately... Eisner the coalition that Eisner used to kind of kick the king out and establish a republic was only united in their desire to bring it into the war and get rid of the king and once mm-hmm. that war ended and the king was gone they didn't agree on anything else because it was a coalition of like the far left but also a lot of like center left people yeah. and even centrists who were just like this world war one thing doesn't seem to be working out for anybody <laughs> kind of sucks for all of us <laughs> kind of sucks for all of us yeah. and when that ends a lot of these centrists are like well we don't really agree with the left on anything else. You know, and, and there's this huge desire to we've got the king out. The war is gone. Let's go back to business as usual. Let's yeah. go back to the way things were before yeah. the war. I think people, Americans can understand. Yeah, we Yeah. I just want to go back to brunch, yeah. man. Yeah, I yeah. want to go back to brunch. And a yeah. lot of these centrists wanted to go back to the center right and the center left arguing because both mm-hmm. the extreme right and the extreme left had been empowered by the war and the economic collapse that came with it. And these these folks in the middle were scared by that. So this Um, is
5: before like Proust and like the new like the new democracy or the new like a uh, constitution they write like this is before this all is that, right.
2: This is before the Weimar constitution. Yeah. Weimar, this is, that's what I'm talking
5: about. The Weimar constitution. Yeah.
2: yeah okay. I, I, Eisner over Eisner leads his sort of revolution like five days before Germany surrenders. Okay. Um, so this is contemporary, like the Weimar constitution starts being written during like oh, the okay, period word. where okay. a lot of this is happening, but uh-huh. this starts before this starts while the Kaiser is still on the throne. Okay. Right? Cool. Okay. Um, I'm fairly sure while well, the Kaiser is still on the front. It starts mm-hmm. before the official German surrender. Okay. So things, you know, the center-right uh, decide or the center-left decides, like, we don't really want to work with Eisner. Eisner's support dissolves, and he kind of winds up unable to govern because he doesn't really have a lot of people backing him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's new elections uh, in January of 1919, and this kind of center-left dominates as opposed to Eisner's far-left. So on the morning of February 21st, 1919, Kurt Eisner starts walking to the Landtag, the Landtag, which is like their, you know, kind of their Congress sort of thing, yeah. to resign his position as head of the local government. Now, while he's on his way, this German noble, Count Anton Arcovalley, which is a fucking badass name, wow. um, Arcovalley. Yeah. Arco Valley. It's like he's like a Spider-Man victim, right? Yeah. Or, or yeah, villain, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um he's a he's a rich Bavarian nobleman. So Arco Valley like comes up and shoots him dead, uh Eisner. Mm. Um so because he's, you know, Arco Valley's a monarchist and a and yeah. a far right kind of guy and he uh-huh. he wants to murder this left-wing dude even though the guy's about to leave power willingly. Yeah. So one of Eisner's Eisner does have some very loyal followers and one of them responds to Eisner being killed by gunning down another politician. And for Sheesh. reasons Unknown to history, this like leftist supporter of Eisner, instead of going after one of Arco Valley's allies, picks a moderate liberal, um, a guy named Ernard Auer, um, and shoots him. Now, our survives an hour at the time is kind of the head of the Social Democrats in Munich. Mm-hmm. So he's like he's like a, kind of the Joe Biden, right? Like okay, he's like yeah. a moderate liberal. Like vanilla, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this leftist shoots him instead of one of Arco Valley's allies for, again, reasons that aren't really well known. Um, but our survived.
4: What are the theories
2: you know, I, I, I haven't really heard a good one. It might just be that, as a rule, a lot of folks on the far left will always hate liberals more than they hate the right. Um, sure, it might have been just a, like if yeah. that bug was just like personal. It's like that fool
5: hit on my girl. Yeah, it know? might have been personal. Also, you know he might have like, been. I, I, just, just, the, I just there's a chance, yeah.
2: man. I just took my chance he might have just fucked up, right? Like guns or aren't just hit the wrong guy great yeah. back then, you know, yeah. like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, Auer survived though. He doesn't get killed, mm-hmm. but his injuries keep him out of politics for two years. And while Auer was like kind of a centrist, he was an effective leader of the Social Democratic Party. He was good at getting people in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's out of the picture for a couple of years means that his party is effectively rudderless right at the same time that the, the far left is energized by Eisner's martyrdom. Now, our success a guy named Johann hoffman uh, was weak and not very competent um so you've got this position where the dominant center left party uh loses its effective leader at the Mm -hmm. same time as the radical left gets energized by the assassination of like one of their big dudes uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna read a quote now from uh an a graduate dissertation by james mcgee titled the political police in bavaria 1919 to 1936 to explain what happens next The assassination of Eisner had worked as a solvent upon political consensus, such as it was in Bavaria. The Hoffman government found itself caught between the advance of radicalism on both the right and the left. The first round in the struggle went to the radical left. No longer able to maintain itself in Munich, the Hoffman government decamped on April 7th, eventually coming to rest in the northern Bavarian city of Bomberg. Authority in Munich was assumed successively by two councils, the first led by an ill-assorted collection of independent socialists and anarchists, and the second by the communists so hmm. two different successive kind of far left governments take yeah. over through like a revolution basically uh-huh. but neither of them are very good at it right neither of them really yeah. have like the anarchists are way more focused on like creating public art and stuff um and don't really have a great uh uh cohesive set of plan to deal with the needs of a lot of like uh munchners i think it is like people of the people of munich yeah. um whereas the communists are kind of they're not really that good of, at building support outside of the people who are already involved in their movement. They uh, they spend a lot of time going after their political enemies um, and, again, aren't very good at consolidating power. Meanwhile, outside the city, conservative forces start regrouping and preparing to invade Munich because there's been a left-wing revolution. What is the yeah. right going to do? They're going to murder everyone they can. Yeah. So the core of this right-wing movement were the Fry Corps, um, and that's a, an organization of right-wing veterans that you could see is broadly similar to groups like the Oath Keepers or the Three Percenters today. Now, okay. the main difference between these two is the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters are mostly people dressing up like soldiers who, if yeah. they were in the military, never heard a shot fired in anger. The men of the Fry Corps are hard sons of bitches. Like yeah. they have They have done a ton of killing. They have seen thousands die before their eyes like a lot of these guys these guys are like veterans of the trenches so they're not Sheesh. they're not playing you know okay. like they're not dressing up because soldiers look cool they've they've yeah. they they have been so broken by war that it's the only thing they can no, really do
5: ain't no larping over here yeah mm.
2: they're called the fry corps the Fri the Free Corps, right? Okay, like, we're cool. a, yeah. So, and the okay. the Fry Corps, not all of these guys, a number of like Fri Corps dudes actually become anti Nazis later, but a lot of the Fri Corps are the, the genesis of what becomes some of the Nazi street movements, too. Okay. And it's kind of like we saw with the Arditi in Italy, right? Where you've got all these veterans. Some of them do become, some of them just want order and they're more Republican than anything, but they'll yeah. fight the radical left. And then they wind up being anti-Nazi. Most of them go more in a Nazi direction. Some of them wind up being kind of more on the left after a while because they get, you know, disillusioned by right wing politics. But you have this melting pot of soldiers who are angry at things and the bulk of them do go to the right now. Yeah. So these guys invade and they make quick work of the red forces of the revolutionary government. I'm going to quote from McGee's article again. By the end of April, the feeble Red forces had been pressed back into the environs of Munich itself. At this moment, with their backs to the wall, elements of the Red Army executed ten hostages. Some of the hostages were members of the right radical Tula Society. Others appeared to have been selected almost at random. None of the ten, however, had done anything to earn so terrible a retribution. With With one gratuitous act, the leftist defenders of Munich had opened the floodgates of violence. The aroused white forces poured into the city on May 1st, bent upon the eradication of the Bavarian Soviet Republic and its supporters in the most literal sense imaginable. The hardened Free Corps and army troops coursed through the streets of the city, shooting anyone who appeared even remotely suspicious. The orgy of execution did not stop until May 7th, when it was discovered that the white forces had mistakenly murdered a group of 21 Catholic schoolboys. These schoolboys were by no means the only innocents who fell before the guns. Before this first wave of killing had come to an end, over 600 individuals had been slain, many of them individuals with no connection to the Red Army army, or the Soviet Republic. Sheesh. The revolution, which had begun so peacefully six months before, had ended in a bloodbath. Order had returned to Bavaria.
1: Wow.
2: And that's kind of the story of the radical left and the radical right, right? You get the radical yeah. left. Some of them go a little bit far. They kill 10 people, and the right murders 600 people, including several dozen schoolboys. God. <laughs> <That's>,
5: yeah. <laughs> God, dog, man. Yeah. I, I. I... Hearing about this, just this time in the world and being a, you know, albeit a African-American male, but the reality is I live in America, you know, that like in this, in this era that like the type of violence these people endured all the time, you know, and yeah. instability, like it's just,
2: we really can't get our brain around that.
5: 600 kids, no. dawg yeah, and, and you know
2: it was six hundred people, at least uh, twenty yeah. like they murder a whole school of Catholic children. children you know, they killed twenty one uh, kids in yeah, like yeah. one, you know, famous leftists, the Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, to be actually, if we're being honest, like one of the in Germany, the anti-fascists were a mix of anarchists communists social democrats and catholics a lot of very traditional conservative catholics were anti-fascists yeah. because they were against the nazis right and they, yeah. they still believed some pretty messed up stuff you're talking about catholics in the 30s and 40s but yeah um we're not nazis you know and you get a lot of credit in my book if you're anti-nazi regardless of what you believe in of all the, of the time. other stuff i can yeah. say this about you Yeah. But you know, this does kind of everything that's happening in Germany in this period makes it clear what I what I kind of consistently think is the most the thing that we have going for us the most in our present struggle against fascism, which is that our fascists are fucking wimps for the most part. Right. Mm. Most of them have never seen heavy combat. They have not seen people shot to death. They haven't shot anyone to death. They have not been in like that's why a lot of them started to run as soon as like the police started really using force the fascists, the 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 Nazis the OG Nazis most of them are hard hard people Hitler yeah. is an incredibly t- physically tough yeah. man yeah. like Hitler is a guy who got into street fights with a whip you know yeah yeah like, these are the- it with him all the time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah these are rough people yeah um yeah. and I, I that one of the things we have going for us is that most of ours just aren't that tough you know yeah um, yeah. yeah there's like this weird like
5: combo of like there's you're yes. not that tough, but you have something to prove. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be so you're dangerous because you yeah. got something to prove. Right. But then there's you are tough and you have something to prove. Yeah. And you ain't scared. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's a total that that's a totally different situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like you'll see yeah. a lot of folks in our far right dress up in you know plate carriers and carry guns and look like soldiers Mm. the the nazis did that too they wore military they dressed like german stormtroopers and most of them had been right when they dressed like the guys who charged through trenches with an axe in one hand and a handgun in another it's because they charged through trenches with an axe in one hand and a handgun in another you know yes yeah. And I know you've seen
5: that look, bro. It's a tangent, but like the as much as you've traveled as any war zones you've been in, yeah. and then even here, like you could see it in a person's eyes to where yeah. you're like, Oh, yeah, you'll cut me. You will yeah. cut my throat. And uh, you're not. Yeah. You won't think twice, you'll cut my throat. Like you can yeah. see it in a person's eyes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's the willingness, it's it's the people, and you can really see it in a lot of folks' eyes. The folks yeah. for whom doing violence is the same as like turning the page in a book, right? Yes. Like it doesn't require yes. a switch in their mental no, circuitry. Yeah. 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 They're just ready, you know? Yeah. And most of them aren't that. Most of the far right in Munich in this period are that kind of person. You know, you've got folks like Heinrich Himmler who were too young and who want to be that and are playing at it. But a lot of them are really tough people. Yeah. So. Mainstream Munich, which, you know, after the right comes in and massacres everybody, it's still like kind of the liberals who are in charge of the government for about a year after this point, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the mainstream center left. And they blamed the far left for everything, even though the vast majority of the killing had been done by folks that were basically proto-fascists. Jeez. Um And among other things, the fact that the left had taken over the city briefly helped to incite and fuel an extremely active right-wing militia scene. So all of these different street militias of armed young men start to form up during this period of time. So different groups of angry young men, many of them veterans, got together to fight the Reds and ensure their city would never fall to the left again. Again, a a liberal government is in charge for the next year. But after the, the Fry Corps and the army come in, the real power in Munich is with the military and the police and the mm-hmm. dominant political ideology in the city among both the center left and center right becomes a thirst for order above all else, right? Mm. Which yeah. you can understand, like these people aren't yeah. just going through, like a lot of Americans just want order at this point after the last four years. And yeah. we didn't go through a war that killed like what, one out of every 10 of our young men, something like yeah, that. Yeah yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Their calls for law and order are understandable. Yeah, I think they're, you know, the yeah. uh, history will show it was the wrong yeah. Way to go about to it, but it, yeah. you have to be more sympathetic to them yeah, than the yeah, people yeah. calling for it now. Like world, well, you, you can't even imagine. No one in in America can imagine. No, you, there, we have no categories yeah. for this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ernest Pohner was one of the first men who stepped in to fill this need for order. And he'd been enraged by Eisner and, you know, even more enraged by the Soviet Republic that briefly took charge of Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gets promoted to be the head of the Munich police force in May of 1919. And he's fresh back from commanding a regiment at, in World War One at this point. And as soon as he's put in, you know, in charge of the police force, he sets to work not just crushing Marxism, but doing everything he can to encourage the growth of the radical right in Munich. Munich. Yeah. Now, the radical right, there were a number of different parties at this period, but the one that would come to dominate the Munich far-right scene was, of course, the National Socialist German Workers' Party, the NSDAP. They were founded in February of 1920 by a fellow named Anton Drexler. A lot of people don't know this. Hitler didn't start the Nazi party. He wasn't involved yeah. at the very beginning. It was a locksmith named Drexler um, yeah. who had been involved previously in a bunch of other fanatical nationalist parties. Now, from the beginning, the NSDAP, and they're not the Nazis at this point. Nobody calls them that yet. That 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 takes for a while later. Yeah. So at this point, calling them the National Socialists or the NSDAP. Their goal initially was to be the party of the German middle class. And I think you'll remember that from our episode on Italy. Yep. yep. Drexler sought robust social aid programs for Aryans. So he wanted socialism for Aryans, yep. right? And he wanted anyone who was not to not be in his fucking country. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. um, Now, at the onset, the National Socialists were a small and secretive group of about 60 people. Now, the Reichswehr, uh, which is Germany's post-war army, becomes immediately concerned with this small party, namely because they are afraid that it might have subversive or revolutionary goals, right? The army is definitely more anti-left than right, but they're concerned about anyone who might be a threat to order in this period. So they decide to send in a spy to look at this young starting party and figure out if it's a threat. And the spy they send is a young German corporal named Adolf Hitler.
5: Uh, yeah. Here we go! Here we go! Here we go! Yeah. It's wow. one of, like yeah of, of of all the times. That, I mean, like yeah of so there's so much of world history that fascinates me. But this moment, this mm-hmm. time, this time, the 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 in between wars, mm-hmm. this time is so interesting to me. Um, yeah,
4: is it so but, interesting that we should take an ad break for suspense? Yeah,
2: you know who won't send Hitler in? Yeah. to infiltrate a radical political party and then become its head.
4: Uh, our sponsors uh, sponsor, they will perhaps? not
2: our sponsors have never ordered Adolf Hitler to infiltrate a right wing political we party. You can say that for a fact. I'm absolutely certain. Yes.
4: I'm a bastard for that transition, by the way. And that
2: was a great transition. Mm-hmm. oh my gosh we have returned and i am just loving talking about some old h-bomb some hitty hits h-bomb some hitty h-bomb hits h-bomb there the we house. go Hitty yeah. hits. hey hits. uh
5: here here's what you could do you here's what you could do for these people mm-hmm. which is some of the uh well i don't get into these discussions anymore because they're ridiculous but um help these people understand this party having the term socialist in it, but they're not socialists. Like, yeah. Yeah. Help them understand that. That's just.
2: They're, they're national socialists, which yes. means, which means they're, they're kind and in their conception, that means that like we seek a socialist state for members of our race. Yes. So we want to, and, and some of that was just, was just lies because the Germans, a lot of stuff is happening here. For one thing, the left is very powerful in Germany during this point. The communists are beating the Nazis for the most part in elections for most of this history. Yeah. So, And they're both competing for people who have been radicalized. Like we talked about last time, yeah. people who have accepted that the system is fucked, a lot of them can go left or right. So the Nazis yes. have to be reaching out to the workers, have to be trying to recruit from that. And there's also – you you know, you, you are talking about a period of time in which – the German economy is, it's like 5.7 billion marks to the dollar. Like Germany is a nation of trillionaires who can't afford food. So you have to be able to speak to these people and promise them some sort of aid. And that was a big part. And, And the way, basically, the left is like, Everybody deserves to be taken care of. We need to take money away from these. We need to nationalize industries. We need to nationalize corporations. We need to give the means of production to workers. The Germans are basically like, we need to take money away from the Jews and businesses away from the Jews and give it to Aryans, right? Because of them. Yeah. 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 Um,
5: The idea of like accepting the fact that like you lost this war. Yeah. I feel like that's what's so it that this is part of what's interesting to me about this season to uh, this time in history, because it's like you, you couldn't get your brain around the fact that y'all just lost. Yeah. Like it just you lost you. You drained your economy on a war that you shouldn't have been in in the first
2: place. Again, nothing that sounds similar to this country today. Exactly. Yeah. None <laughs> yeah. Of this. No. Yeah.
5: You just. <laughs> hey, bro, take it on the chin. You lost you know what I'm saying? Let's figure this out. Were you looking for like, whoa, we just lost because of them. Like, bro. You just- anyway,
2: yeah. None of this is familiar. And it's also, when we're talking about sort of socialism within the Nazis, one thing people do need to understand is that in the early period, and this hasn't even really evolved yet in the episode we're talking about, this is more in like the later 20s, there's a left wing and a right wing of the Nazi party. There are Nazis who are Mm anti-capitalist. The the Knight of Long Knives is the right wing of the Nazi party, which is the dominant chunk of the party, murdering all of those people. Yes. Which is not to say the left wing of the Nazi party weren't a bunch of hideous racist monsters. They were. Of course. um, they just <laughs> believed slightly different things and were then murdered, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's what the Night of Long Knives was yeah. was a purging of yeah. the kind of more socialist elements within the Nazi Party that mm-hmm. they needed to kind of get into power and get enough workers behind them that they could, you know, um, take the streets. Um, so again, a lot of German his political history is incredibly complicated yeah. in this period. So yeah. much is going on. Yeah, um, and again, like people who are convinced that the system needs to be destroyed will often have some stuff in common with each other, which is why you do see Nazis and communists on a couple of occasions, like fight together against police in the state, not because they agree with each other, but because they, uh, they agree on the fact that the state is shit. Um, you know, it's, it's a very messy time because everything is falling apart. Again, I'm sure Americans can, uh, identify with that. Um, so, yeah, this uh, Hitler's, you know, commanding officer sends him to infiltrate this far right group and learn if it's like a threat to the German government, which I think you have to count as like one of the worst decisions ever made. Like Bad calculation. It, it, I don't know if anything's yeah. ever backfired more than yeah. be like, oh, we don't want to we we want to make sure these guys don't overthrow the government. Send yeah. Hitler in to check on them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 y- 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 yeah. Um- yeah, yeah, mostly underestimated big. Yeah. Yeah. So Hitler at the time was an angry uh, young man, still suffering from his war injuries. He'd been pretty badly messed up at the front and he'd been at the front for about four straight years. So he's, mm-hmm. he's riddled with PTSD and okay. physically injured and he's adrift in a nation on the verge of collapse. The economy is in free fall, people don't have jobs. And Hitler's kind of, one of the reasons he does this is he's desperate to not get kicked out of the military. Most soldiers are released from the military after the war. He hangs on to his job for a while and this is how. And he needs the yeah. fucking money right yeah so he takes this gig he goes in and shows up at a, a meeting or two of the Nazi party and he finds himself kind of enthralled by the group's discussions yeah. now one of the party's early members was a fellow named Dietrich Eckert now Eckert was an anti-semitic poet and most historians consider him to be the spiritual founder of the Nazi party Hitler himself in some yeah. private writings described Eckert as the spiritual founder of, of Nazism now Eckert was all about nationalism and saving Germany from the Jewish menace that he believed had lost the war for her. Uh, mm. Bereft of a Kaiser, Dietrich became convinced that an Aryan hero was needed to save the German race. And he spent mm. a lot of his time thinking about who that hero might be. And I'm going to quote Dietrich here. This is talking about like what he believes is necessary to save Germany. Yeah the rabble has to be scared shitless i can't use an officer by which he means a military officer the people yeah. no longer have any respect for them best of all would be a worker who's got his mouth in the right place he doesn't need much intelligence politics is the stupidest business in the world <laughs> i know right
4: i
5: mean politics is the stupidest business
2: oh in the my world. god yeah, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you have to wow. see Eckert as, in a lot of ways, one of the most effective and yeah. li- like political thinkers of all time. He's absolutely right about how to take over German democracy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it succeeds, the plan works. <laughs> yeah, he was, turns yeah. out he was right. Yeah. Now, during one early Nazi party meeting, a professor got up and made an impassioned argument about why Bavaria needed to secede from Germany. Hitler got enraged by this and he starts screaming at this professor. And he's so eloquent in his arguments about, like, why Germany needs to stay together that, like, everyone who's there is just struck by his his skill as a speaker. Um, mm-hmm. And this professor actually, like, flees the room in in shame because he can't, wow. like, argue against Hitler. And, yeah, this convinces all of the party leaders at the time that Hitler had a future as an orator that he could be like a a big voice for spreading the party's uh, propaganda. So they start having Hitler give speeches and they're right like he's able to draw a crowd The guy's a good public speaker. Uh, He gets better and better about it over time. And in short order, he's the most prominent member of the National Socialist Party and soon it's figurehead. Now the Nazis grew quickly at this point drawing in other disaffected veterans like Hermann Goering and Ernst Röhm now Röhm had been a stormtrooper and he's a really interesting guy he's one of the members who's purged in the night of long knives so he had in World War I been like a special forces guy an elite assault trooper he's covered head to toe in scars his nickname because he has so many connections in the military he's able to get like heavy machine guns for these Mm -hmm. militias and stuff like have them smuggled out illegally from the army to these right wing groups they call him the Machine Gun King, which is a objectively oh, cool nickname, bad yeah, uh, yeah. No, blame, Rome is a blame. terrifying person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and is just like a like. And if you want to think about his the way he's seen by a lot of the radical right at this point, point in Germany, think about a guy like Chris Kyle, right? The American sniper. How yeah. Republicans yeah. talk about him. Yeah, Rome was that sort of legend. He's just this Damn. this absolute legendary brawler, tough um, as and nails warrior. brawler. Okay, he's also very almost openly gay which is why he's murdered in the light night of long knives mm-hmm. right is because like hitler doesn't want that kind of bad pr he's a very interesting guy Oof. um yeah he's a tough he's a tough yeah. and that's like a huge factor in you know, there, there. Again, we talk about all these kind of countercultural movements coming together. You see versions of this within the Proud Boys too, right? Yeah. Like where, and that's a big part of like at the time, what you know, Rome's sexuality wasn't something that they advertised. Now it is kind of an advertising point where it's like, hey, we're not white nationalists. Like, look, you know, our leaders, this it, it, our leader is like a, a black guy. We've yeah. got all these gay people. Like, yeah. we couldn't possibly be fascists. And it's like, no, no, no. The fascists have had yeah. always at the Whole start yeah. a lot of different people yeah. represented as long as they're violent now once they yeah. get into power they murder those people yeah yes <laughs> like, yeah rome doesn't last after hitler gets into power no um, no 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 yeah but hitler's the, happy the, yeah, to be his friend when he totally. needs him to the beat finesse, people up the finesse yeah.
5: on that kid hitler man it's mm-hmm. just the, the finesse is ridiculous
2: like yeah yeah we need, you can't it, so the finesse is ridiculous. Anyway, Hitler starts attracting these war heroes because Goering is also Hermann Goering like a fighter ace, and he's very mm-hmm. handsome as a young man. Mm-hmm. Like everyone knows, like the obese heroin addicted Goering yeah. that like you know gets caricatured. Uh-huh. When he's a young man, he's this like very handsome prominent look. Like he looks like a movie star, yeah. and he's a legendary fighter pilot. You've got Ernst Rome, who's just like tough as nails, and all of yeah. these like war heroes start joining the Nazi ranks, which of course brings in more guys from the far right because you've dude's got handsome? all these people. Herman uh, Gary is a young man. Yeah, you need yeah. the young one.
4: No, I'm looking at young one. This dude's handsome.
2: Young Herman Gary. Yeah. Hold up. Drop the link. Yeah. I'll show yeah. you a picture of him. I'll show you a picture of him. Drop that in the chat. You know what I saying? mean?
4: We're gonna uh, agree to disagree on this one. This is a pointy motherfucker looking like. No, I, no, no, you,
2: no, no, no! I'm gonna throw a. I'm gonna like throw a, you a.
4: Like an well, you, ugly Lego loss from Lord wow. of the Rings.
5: Well, you got it. Well, you got to type right, though, Sophie. In there. So, I mean.
4: No, I don't. I this
5: don't is know. just I'm... ugly. Okay. Throw him in the chat. Throw him in the chat. I got you a picture this. of him. Okay. Hold up.
4: Is this the same picture I was looking at? Yes! Guess... This is not an attractive man. He looks, like,
2: uh, he looks like a young Bing Crosby.
5: Yo, that's a little bit of, you know what I'm saying? A little Matthew McConaughey jaw. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying?
2: He's traditionally apologize.
4: A, apologize. I, I, I don't I want to get comment, caught
2: right? into the talking about how hot Hermann Goering okay, used to be. Part okay. of this discussion, he's still a monster. Let's, let's, he is. Yeah. He's, he is seen as being an attractive young war he's hero He's traditionally at this point attractive, in time, according right? to Western yeah. standards. All right. We'll give him that. All right. Also, all right. half of the men in Germany in this period have had their faces blown off, so it's the bar is not as high. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like rickets. Yeah, shit. yeah, yeah no, it's, but,
4: it's a no for me, dog.
2: Okay. okay well good you Sophie does Vickle. not think Herman Goering is hot well well, well that's a t-shirt record. right there on
4: the motherfucking record mm-hmm. we need
2: a we need a you uh, know what we're gonna, we need to take let's a get total two total. sets of t-shirts out team Herman Goering was fuckable and team Herman Goering wasn't fuckable yeah dog. Sophie can we get can we get t-public on that is that a good idea I'm, sh-
4: I'm sure we DTF? can DTF but mm, I don't know if we want just,
2: to. just a picture of Herman Gehring and DTF yeah, question DTF mark. right under it. Oh, uh, that might not go over well for us. It's all bad. <laughs> Gehring. So... Uh, Yeah, they start to uh, draw in a lot of, like, because they've got all these war heroes, they start to draw in a lot of other people on the right who had idolized these men, soldiers who, you know, these guys had been their heroes in the trenches, and also younger men who hadn't been old enough to fight in the war, but were drawn to wanting to be in the company of these legends. Guys like Heinrich Himmler, right? Mm -hmm. He sees all these heroes joining the Nazis. He never got to fight in the war, so he joins the Nazis. Now, Mm -hmm. Hitler gives speech after speech after speech, and while he's doing this... Dietrich Eckert is helping Hitler mold his public appearance and create what came to be known as the Hitler myth. And this is the idea that Hitler was not just a politician, but he kind of supernaturally embodied the spirit of the German people and was their yeah. defender against their racial enemies. Eckert is the architect of this idea, which is the core of like what became, comes like the Fuhrer principle, like yeah. the, the center of Nazism. Yeah. Now one of Eckert's main points was that a new German revolution was necessary. The 19th 1918 revolution, he felt, which is like the socialist revolution that takes over Munich, had failed because it was soulless and Jewish. Eckert wanted a revolution, but he Mm -hmm. wanted a revolution that was led by someone he crafted, namely Hitler, um, that could lead the German people into freedom and wipe away the stain of defeat in World (sighs) War One. Now, of yeah. course, the Nazis were opposed, even from an early period, as they always are, by the left, namely socialists and communists in this period. And this is before the birth of German anti-fascism as a, as a movement. There are people mm. fighting fascism, but, like, the idea of, like, Antifa, as we know it, like, comes out of Germany, a, like, a decade later than this yeah. or so. Um, that hasn't really evolved yet. And it, there, it, anti-fascism in Germany in this period is at a more primitive level than it is in, say, Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So there are, but they are still opposing the Nazis. And there are frequent fights at Nazi party rallies. Communists and socialists will show up at beer halls where Nazis are meeting and like try to beat the shit out of these guys. And the Nazis will do the same thing at left-wing gatherings. All, everything, every political thing in Munich happens at a beer hall. And you do have to assume that everyone but Hitler is wasted at pretty much all the time. Hitler's not much of a drinker. Everybody else is just fucking. Man,
5: how come like uh, as, as unstable as the world is like at this time, Man, you know, I wonder if we would have much more people entering mm-hmm. into political discourse if they fought the way that these people fight. Y'all just drinking scrap. Like, could mm-hmm. you imagine that that like our part? I know our parliament in the 1700s was like this. You know what I'm saying? In yeah. 1800s, we used to actually scrap. You know what I'm saying? But like mm-hmm. these dudes like like you, you talking. It's so funny because it's like it's, this is hood shit. This sound like gangbanging. Like, y'all pulling up. It's like, yo, you left this? Yeah, nigga, I'm a leftist. What's, 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 what, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you flashing signs at each other. Y'all, y'all politicians. Mm-hmm. Y'all politicians. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, that's so, that's what I, I think that, again, that's going back to what I mean by like, we don't have, we don't have categories for this. Their officials fight. Yeah. That's crazy to me.
2: Yeah, they are like, like, and this is a lot of these guys are like kind of not elect like elected leaders do get into fights and stuff at this time too. But these are officials. Yeah, a lot of these guys are just sort of like campaigning, and a lot of it happens via street fighting, and it's it's ugly shit. People are being gunned down and stabbed and beaten. Yeah, Um, like it's nasty stuff, and in fact, it gets so nasty that not only does like Hitler start carrying a whip and a handgun so that he can like slash people's faces open during bar brawls, but the Nazis in order to like defend their meetings develop a powerful and organized street fighting arm uh these guys are called the sturm Abteilung, or the storm division and they were Ooh. created in early 1920 as a hall protection force like a beer hall protection force for like the meetings that the party would hold in munich yeah now In addition to having, like, a bunch of guys who would show up to, like, crack heads and fight communists, they also opened a sports and gymnastics wing, which started training their men in boxing, jiu-jitsu, and exercise. And you see the same thing with modern fascists. There's a lot of fascist and neo-Nazi MMA gyms, a strong, like, lifting culture among groups like the Rise Against Movement, who are a big part of Charlottesville, Uh, uh, of Unite the Right in Charlottesville. like. You know, that, that, the idea of like Nazis loving to get into jujitsu, nothing against jujitsu. It's rad as hell. But like the, yeah. the fact that they've been into it, that goes back a century, right? God dog, man. Um, I tell you
5: what, bro. Like, yeah, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, I'll just, man, I'll just do some like some body like calisthenics, mm-hmm. like plyometric stuff. Man, I'm not going to these gyms. Just You just like, you just you feel like it's just full of these like fuck boys.
2: You know what I'm saying? And now it makes sense. It's like, yeah, there's a history of this. Yeah, there's oh. a history, which is like there's also some pretty rad, you know, anti-fascist like MMA gyms and stuff out there. I need to go um, find it. <laughs> Yeah, because I think it's important to train people who aren't Nazis and how to defend themselves against yeah, Nazis. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's a long history of like there's a there's a huge like fascist MMA fighting like network in Eastern Europe, particularly in Ukraine. Like they'll have these big conventions Damn. and and competitions and stuff. Like it's a big part of that kind of culture. Um Ooh. Yeah, so that you know that starts with the Nazis in this period. Um, they're okay. doing jujitsu in nineteen fucking twenty. So that's kind of yeah. hard. Yeah, and the the stormtrooper catchphrase in this period was a very subtle "Death to the Jews." So, oh god, not great oh, at keeping a lid on what they're about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Now, in 1922, Hermann Goering was promoted to lead the Sturmabteilung, hereafter known as the SA. These are the guys that come to be known as the Brown Shirts. Mm -hmm. Now, by that point, his men had spent much of the last two years imbibing a steady diet of race hatred and revolutionary fascist propaganda. Wilhelm Bruckner, who was the head of the Munich Stormtroopers, told Hitler that year that very soon, Hitler would be unable to restrain his men from doing something. And what Bruckner was warning about is the same thing we saw in Washington, D.C. on the 6th if you have this movement of young men that you gin up with conspiracies about child-eating pedophiles and the globalist destruction of their race and nation, which is exactly the kind of a lot of the shit the Nazis are learning hearing this period is like QAnon shit, right? Very similar. If you, if you get a bunch of angry, violent young men obsessed with weaponry focused on that shit for years, they will demand to go shed blood to stop it at some point. And you won't be able to stop them. And kind of one of the areas where, you know, Uh, Trump fucked up is he didn't do anything with them cohesive because I don't think he ever had much of a cohesive plan. So they raided the Capitol and caused a crackdown on themselves. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's Um, beyond him now. Yeah, it's beyond him now. Hitler doesn't let it get beyond him. He realizes this is happening and that action needs to be taken. Now, for a while, he was able to kind of burn out this excess energy among his street fighters by having them go after journalists and newspaper offices, having them tear down political propaganda and beat up left-wing canvassers in the streets. So he has them assaulting his enemies in part to just try to get off this excess energy so they don't blow up and like tip their hand too early. And of course, all of the fighting and violence in the street they're doing is very illegal under under German law at the time. Mm-hmm. But the police president, Poner, who we've talked about earlier, ensured the Nazis faced few consequences. And I'm going to quote from McGee's article on the Munich political police at this point. The debt with which the Nazi movement owed Poner was real. As police president, Poner extended a sheltering hand to protect the activities of the nascent Nazi movement. In doing so, he ensured its survival and gave it an opportunity for future growth. This passive image, however, does little to convey the full dimensions of Poner's commitment to both the radical right in general and Nazis in particular. As a key figure in Bavarian politics during the post-war period, Poner actively aided the Volkish movement and occupied a central position in its highest councils. And the Volkish movement is like all these ideas about the Aryan race and yeah. the German people that kind of feed into Nazism. I mean, so, they had like they had judges. And, yeah, uh, right? yeah. Like, we will be yeah. talking about the judges. Uh, okay, Koenig cool. becomes a judge. He's the chief yeah, of police now. Like, he becomes yeah, a judge. Just, yeah,
5: yeah. These they yeah. fools sitting in court with their legs all yeah. the way up, feet crossed. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What,
2: yeah. yeah. It, 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 for yeah. an example of how biased he was. At one point during his time as the Chief of Police in Munich, Poner is asked if he realizes the Nazis are murdering people in the streets of Bavaria. And he replies, "Yes, but far too few of them. <laughs> so oh Now,, oh, as an aside, Unrelated to anything we're talking about. At present, we now know that at least 28 police officers were present for the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Um, I should note that in 2018, after a series of dueling protests in Portland between left and right wing demonstrators that ended with police assaulting and hospitalizing a left wing activist, internal planning documents from the police revealed that they viewed the fascist activists as, quote, much more mainstream than the anti-fascists. This is a long through line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that mainstream has quite a Mm -hmm. subtext. It sure does. Yeah. Sure does, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So by 1923, the thrill of beating the shit out of their enemies in the streets was wearing thin for the Sturmabteilung. Now, roughly two thirds of the Nazi party membership was under the age of 31 at this point. These are young men who want to drink and fight and revolt against the liberals and Jews they see as ruining their country. Right. Mm hmm. Um, they look a lot like the Proud Boys. It's a group yeah. of like macho, uh, like testosterone loaded young men who drink and probably do a lot of, co- like the Proud Boys do a lot of cocaine. I'm guessing a yeah. lot of these guys are on blow too, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, uncommon sure. in Germany in that period. Yeah. So Hitler was super on board with getting these guys into the fight due largely to what he and the rest of the world had watched Benito Mussolini's Blackshirts do in Italy the year before. Because, again, the March on Rome is the year before Hitler does his Beer Hall Putsch. 1922-23 is the Beer Hall Putsch. And I'm going to quote now from a book called The Trial of Adolf Hitler by David King. And this is Hitler talking at first. If a German Mussolini is given to Germany, Hitler said to a journalist for London's Daily Mail on the eve of the putsch, people would fall down on their knees and worship him more than Mussolini has ever been worshipped. This journalist was unimpressed. In private, he dismissed Hitler as another hot air merchant. But Hitler had, in fact, decided to follow in the fascist footsteps and march on Berlin. The original plan had been to strike on Saturday night, November 10th. This was, after all, the weekend, which Hitler believed was the best time for a revolution. Authorities would be away from their desks, police would be reduced to a minimal staff, and the lighter traffic would not impede on the movement of his trucks and troops. So Hitler becomes convinced after seeing Mussolini that, like, not only did Mussolini have some great ideas, but this will work even better in Germany. Um because we yeah. kind of have more of an authoritarian culture. Italy, when Mussolini took over, had a much longer democratic tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Germany, a lot more authoritarianism. He, Hitler's like, if I present myself the way Mussolini did, I'll be even more powerful. People will join me on the road to Berlin and we'll take over the whole country. Now-
5: Oh my gosh.
4: Hitler was- terrifying.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's not, I mean, there's he was a, wrong in this instance, but not overall.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah
5: there's an interesting, like, um, even with that, like, Germans, like, at the time propensity towards like authoritarian like I still think even and and then their their saltiness towards Catholicism when I think about their like Protestant movement um, being so informed by sort of like Reformed Calvinist thought like this this idea that like humans are so depraved at their core because of sin you know what I'm saying like you can't trust them to make good choices for themselves. So you need a strong man in the same way that Jesus was your strong man. You know what I'm saying? To make, to make these answers, to choose these for you, because I mean, you're full of sin nature. So why would we trust what you would vote for yourselves? No, you need Mm -hmm. a guy, you need a guy, a dude in charge that can tell you what's better for you because you can't trust your own instincts. And, and that. That theological twist to me, it's like it, it adds to the mythos of how somebody like a good, smooth talking Hitler could convince this nation who already got got authoritarian tendencies. Now you add in this like this like theological worldview to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's just going to work. Mm hmm. Thought I'd throw
2: that and in. And it does. And,
4: and you yeah. know what else is going to work? Listen. Oh,
2: the products and services Woo! that support this podcast. Oh, yeah. That part. That is oh. going to totally deprave my wallet. You they know? are absolutely <laughs> going to march on Berlin and overthrow yes. the Reichstag. Yes. I, I think that's been T Public's goal from the beginning.
1: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast.
2: we're back. So we now are. Hitler knows he wants to march on Berlin. He wants to do a Mussolini, but better. But he's he's not a dumb guy. He realizes that he alone doesn't have a big enough name to successfully push Bavaria. He's very popular within Munich and the Munich right. He's not a national figure at this point. Mm-hmm. So he has to enlist the help of a national figure, and he picks someone he had idolized: General Erich Ludendorff. Now, the old general had already tried to take over the government once before, right after World War I, um and had failed at that, but he hadn't really been punished because, you know— he yeah. was the war hero. He's Ludendorff. Yeah. He was the architect of the victory over Russia. Uh, he was just very beloved. And he was a massive figure for the right wing, revered and respected. For his part, the old field marshal had spent his declining years becoming an increasingly massive racist and conspiracy theorist Sheesh. and mostly pushing the stab in the back narrative, blaming uh, the loss in yeah. World War I on the Jews, all that stuff. You could see him as like a general Flynn figure. Um, he's, he's this very popular among the far right general who shacks up with this far right political character. Now, the big difference is that general Flynn has been like profoundly loyal to Donald Trump and Ludendorff just kind of saw Hitler as a vector for which he could, you know, push his kind of fringe right wing politics. Yeah, I'm Um, thinking more
5: Storm and Norman Swartzkoff
2: head ass. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not or a. Well, um, maybe not that guy. He's not much yeah. a hero. Yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. like a. He's not like um, loyal to Hitler, but he sees Hitler as a guy he can use, and Hitler sees yeah. Ludendorff as a guy he can use. I feel like um, in that that exact
5: sentence is like was the dagger for almost all the political parties. Y'all thought y'all could use this man, like he mm-hmm. wasn't. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Yeah. I mean, and so Hitler goes to Ludendorff and is like, hey, I want to overthrow the government. I want to be the dictator and I want to have you be basically like running the country with me. You'll be in charge of the army and together Mm -hmm. we'll bring Germany back to greatness. Mm -hmm. And Ludendorff... Gives a soft yes, the kind of yes that could mean a no if, like, the police came to his door and he ah. could say, like, I, but he's like, yeah, if you do it, like, I'm on board. I'll take over the army if you win, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of yes Ludendorff oh. gives him. Um, oh. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's on board as long as he doesn't have to stick his neck out too much, is kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. Ludendorff's attitude towards this. Mm-hmm. So, the initial plan for the putsch is November tenth, but yeah. they wound up pushing it up by two days, kind of at the last minute, to Thursday, November eighth. Because Gustav von Karr, who's basically he's the general commissar, he's basically like the governor of of okay. of of, uh, of Munich. Um, he's giving a speech at the Burger Brau Keller Beer Hall, which is one of Munich's most prestigious places for people to drink heavily and do politics. Burger. Brau, Karr, Burger Brau, Brau. The Burger Brow Beer, Beer Hall. Hall. That's yeah, man.
5: We need to rename something like that, because that's yeah.
2: I would love it's still around today. Something. I think. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So this is where the putsch actually starts. So, okay. Carr is in charge in in Munich, and he is he he's been brought to power in what some would call a military coup. Um, it was kind of a soft coup, but basically after the liberals had let the left seize the city in revolt, the military made sure that a strong man like Carr wound mm-hmm. up in charge after the, you know, a year or so later. Mm-hmm. And Carr had vowed during his campaign to turn the city into a cell of law and order. Oh, God. And they keep saying that. I, you y- quote, y- keep saying that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you yep. guys keep saying law and order, but mm-hmm. I just, you don't it, mean it, yeah. It never happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to quote from author David King describing Carr's politics here. He welcomed right-wing extremists to settle in the region, and many of them, in turn, joined the paramilitary societies emerging in the aftermath of the war and revolution. Carr also organized many of these bands into a loose coalition called the Einwohnerwerven, or Citizens Militia, that would soon surpass 300,000 men. Carr would use this volunteer home guard in everything from law enforcement to border patrol. They were necessary, he said, like a fire brigade. So... Cart builds this citizen's militia, basically a private army of himself mm. for him, his own to crack down on the left. And... Germany at this point is forbidden from having much of a real military. They're capped at about a hundred thousand soldiers yeah. in the Reichswehr. Um, and this is a part of the Treaty of Versailles. And France realizes that Carr is raising up thousands and thousands of private soldiers, and they complain that he's building a new German army and he's forced to disband his militia. Um, now this pisses off the far right, the fact that Carr caves and cancels his militia yeah. and tells his guys to go home. Um and a lot of them consider him like the fascist equivalent of a rhino at this point, you know, or a Republican yeah. in name only. Like, they're like, ah, car's not really on yeah. the right. Look at what he, he got cucked by the French. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Punk ass um, make, yeah. But he's still very popular with the center right. And he's seen mm-hmm. as something of like a, um. Uh, a a resistance hero um, among like the the center right. So he's, you know, he's not like popular on the fringe right, but he's popular on the middle right. So in October, uh, now another thing that's happening at this period of time is in August of 1923, Gustav Stressemann is elected chancellor of Germany. Um, Mm -hmm. And right before he comes to power, the Germans had begged the allies for a moratorium on reparations payments because the German economy is collapsing in this period and they just can't afford it. The French had refused to put in a moratorium on payments. And then in order to get money out of Germany that Germany wasn't sending, they invaded and occupied the Ruhr, which is Germany's industrial heartland. So Germany defaults on their payments uh, after, like, you know, before they invade the Ruhr. And like the fact that the French invade pisses off all of Germany and particularly the German right wing. Yeah, so, this again,
5: yeah, like a little, little, little human in this story here is like, yeah, so you guys' are new chancellor because they had to write a whole new constitution. They yeah. wrote a whole new constitution, got a new chancellor. They got to pay back all this shit they destroyed for this war. They already feel salty about that. Like, damn, I got I to gotta clean it. I got to pay for all this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then they like literally were broke. Like, God damn it, we're broke. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So then, and then for France to be like, oh, you going to give me my money? they're like, what money?
2: What money? We don't have anything. (laughs) What (laughs) money? We don't have it. Yeah. 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 We starved to death on turnips last winter. Like, we have nothing. like, you you (laughs) saw it. We
5: lost. Damn, man. We lost. And now we have, like, we ain't got it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and this, (laughs) this, a lot of the anger at the Treaty of Versailles and the way the French are behaving gets pushed onto the German liberals um, who, like, because they're internationalists kind of, like... Uh, uh, try to engage with the French and Gustav yeah. Stresemann gets elected and one of the first things he does is he orders a, the end of a general strike against the French in the Ruhr and he starts mm-hmm. resuming reparations payments and yeah. this enrages the right wing yeah. and so and Stresemann knows it's going to so he has the president of the Reich declare an emergency the Bavarian government gets pissed by this because they hate Stresemann. they're all very conservative he's a liberal and they're like basically this guy's been cucked by the French and they declare yeah. Bavaria declares its own state of emergency now, the decision to do that was made by the triumvirate that ruled Bavaria, which consisted of von Karr, General von Lasso, who's in charge of the army in Bavaria, and the commander of the state police, a guy named Seisser, I think. Now, this triumvirate had publicly refused a number of orders from Berlin uh, as a show of protest and as red meat to their right wing base. So basically, it's like a state in the United States refusing orders from the federal government yeah. because it's against what their political base wants. Oh, there we go. Um, there we go. And this is mostly for show because, yeah, this is mostly for show um, Mm -hmm. because, like, the federal government has the ability to deny funds to Bavaria, right, which kind of fucks them over. And so by early November, the the Triumvirate is losing heart because they wanted to get red meat to their base and, like, improve their own personal popularity by saying, fuck Mm -hmm. you to the central government. But they didn't want to pay consequences. So they're starting to cave by November. But most voters don't know that. And so when Von Karr takes the stage at the Burger Brau beer hall on November 8th, the re like a lot of people show up because they think he's about to announce that Bavaria is seceding from Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Hitler knows that's not going to happen. He knows that's mm-hmm. very unlikely, because Hitler sees von Karr as basically a moderate. Mm-hmm. But he also knows that a huge crowd, including all of the people running Bavaria, are going to be in the beer hall that night, which makes it a great place to occupy with armed men if you're going to do yes. a putsch. If yes. you're putsching, you know, that's it's, where it's, you want to put. This is where you push the putsch yeah yeah you know this saying? is the beer hall the burger brow beer hall is the equivalent of the Capitol on january 6th here it's yeah. like where all these elected leaders are if you want to yeah. actually capture these people this yeah. is where you do it um so he gets together his stormtrooper leaders and his key advisors and they work with their police insider who's a fellow named frick because a lot of cops are nazis yeah um i'm not even gonna put wow. like a timeline on that a lot of yeah, cops are like, Nazis. Yeah. let's let's let that one <laughs> yeah. settle for a little yeah. bit yeah Okay, cool. Yeah. So Frick, this cop, ensures that the police presence outside the beer hall is minimal. Like, the, all of the guys running Bavaria are there, but they don't have very many cops protecting oh. them. And that's by design to oh. make it easier for the stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. So Hitler sets, yeah, I know, another thing that has never yeah. happened again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So Hitler's other lackeys, the guys who aren't like fighters, get set to the organizing propaganda. One man Mm -hmm. was set, was like put to the job of organizing the distribution of posters and newspapers announcing the Nazi overthrow of the government. Uh, Hitler's half American friend, a guy named Ernst uh, Hanschstangl, better known as Putzi, who's like a Harvard (laughs) graduate, um, was in charge of making sure the foreign press was there without Uh knowing why they were there. Because Putzi's a a charmer. He's a, he's a, like an aristocrat guy. He's good at talking to people. He's good at talking to like, American media. So like the New York Times has a guy there on this night. Now, Hitler and his entourage show up at the beer hall f- uh, that night, like, as thousands of people are gathered up outside to get in to watch von Karr speak. And Hitler's immediately gets out of his, I think it's a Mercedes, and he's immediately greeted by a crowd of 3,000 people outside the Sheesh, hall, because Hitler is very popular in mm-hmm. with the right in Munich. So he gets mobbed by this crowd who wanted to know if, like, he knew what von Car was going to speak about, is, you know, are we gonna secede, what's happening? And Hitler's like, I'm just a guest, I'm here like the rest of you, and he goes inside to get a beer. And he doesn't get a beer because he wants to drink drink it hitler's not really a drinker yeah, he's every not a drinker. now and then yeah he'll he'll like down like um some champagne or something he's not much of a drinker he has the beer because goering has warned him like hey we're going to try to overthrow the government we don't want people to realize we're on to something early if you're sitting in a beer hall in munich with a beer no one will suspect that you're planning to break the law because it's yeah. munich yeah um so Hitler gets a beer and he's like kind of nursing it um, and Carr takes the podium now Carr's speech is boring and pointless and a big bummer to everybody he just starts like he's not seceding he starts a standard harangue about the evils of Marxism about mm-hmm. how Munich was going to fight the contagion and quintessential evil of socialism oh, that, pretty yeah. normal right wing stuff yeah um, and Hitler is reported to have asked his men during Carr's speech does anyone understand what he's talking about like what, what the fuck is this guy doing up there not um, <laughs> a tra- Rolling him. Yeah. (laughs) Savage. While this is going on, while, you know, Hitler and his kind of inner circle are watching cars speak and this beer hall's got thousands of people in it, Hitler's stormtroopers are assembling nearby. Now, a 26-year-old cigar dealer named Josef was the quartermaster. And so he basically, like, as the troops assemble, he starts handing out rifles and machine guns and grenades to several dozen of the Nazi party's best fighters, the Mm -hmm. men of Stostrup Hitler, or the Hitler Assault Squad. Now, these guys wore a gray military uniform with a silver Death's Head badge on their caps. The Stostrup would wind up evolving into the Schutzstaffel, which is the infamous SS, right? Like Mm -hmm. That's the the guys who, among other things, man the concentration camps. At this point, they're Hitler's street fighters um, and are responsible for protecting him and stuff. And these are the guys he's going to use to be the the armed fist of his putsch. Mm -hmm. Now, before the putsch, Hitler had given his fighters a few suggestions for how to behave. He had told them, cruelty impresses and don't leave a fight unless you're being carried out dead god um, dog. So th- these you are his orders green
5: light th- yeah look you'd only yeah the only way you leave is in a bag
2: mm-hmm. dog yeah these guys are fucking um you know they, they, he's a gangster yeah this is a gangster regime a lot yeah. of people at the time actually like a lot of american newspaper men in the 20s and 30s will say this about the nazis these people are fucking gangsters they're just gangsters um, yeah <laughs> yeah Now, a little before 8.30 p.m., a hundred stormtroopers swarmed the premises of the Burger Brow and entered the beer hall, shouting, Heil Hitler, and waving guns. Hermann Goering, who led the assault team, told the police officers outside that the government was being overthrown. The dozen or so Mm. cops there were easily overpowered. Goering and his men secured the building, and as he entered, he called for quiet. Now, everybody's drunk at this point, so they don't get quiet, so he has to shoot into the roof with his handgun. Then he, like, basically hands things over to Hitler, who pulls off his trench coat to reveal a black suit with two iron crosses pinned to his lapel. And I'm going to quote next from a write-up by Douglas O'Linder. He jumped up on a table, pulled out a pistol and fired two shots into the ceiling. This is the second guy who's fired into the ceiling yeah. that night. It keeps happening. It happens yeah, several yeah, yeah, more yeah, times. Yeah. We're drinking guys. <laughs> yeah. And fired two shots into the ceiling. Silence! He yelled. Then Hitler and several supporters pushed their way to the front of the room and confronted Speaker Carr at the podium. Stormtroopers pointed a machine gun at the crowd. Many who were in the audience later said that they suspected they were about to witness an assassination. Hitler shouted to the crowd, The national revolution has begun! 600 armed men are occupied this hall. No one may leave. The governments of Bavaria and in Berlin have been overthrown. Army barracks and police headquarters are now under the control of this party. None of this was true, but Hitler hoped and expected that it would be soon enough. Hitler then told Carr and two other important political leaders, General von Lasso and Colonel von Seisser, that they should join him in a side room for a conversation about Bavaria's future. After the men leave, Goering told the crowd, you all have your beer. Keep drinking. You have nothing to worry about. (laughs) It's gonna be fine. It's just a Butch, chill out, guys. Hey, hey you're Have good. some you're good. more you're beer.
5: Good. Nobody has to die, man. Keep drinking. Just mm-hmm. know I'm in charge. That's it.
2: Yeah. you good. Yeah, we're in charge. We're the Nazis. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so... Hitler's goal was to convince the triumvirate to back his plan he wanted Bavaria's army units and police on his side he doesn't want to fight these guys his Mm -hmm. plan is to do a grander version of what Mussolini had done and start marching with basically all of the right wingers in the military of Bavaria and start marching up to Berlin and he imagines thousands of people are going to join him on the way and once they reach Berlin they're going to overthrow the liberal government easily and institute a fascist state run by Hitler and Ludendorff and of course for that to happen they can't get bogged down fighting the Bavarian state, right? Yeah. Now, Sicer, Lossau, and Carr were all pretty close to being fascists themselves, but these guys are all state loyal, right? They're not mm-hmm. revolutionaries. They don't want to overthrow the government. They want the government to change into a more right-wing government, but they're not yeah. like bomb throwers like Hitler yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so they didn't want to follow this weird little Nazi guy in open rebellion against the state. Now Hitler tried to smooth talk them. He promised them cushy positions in the new regime. Carr is a monarchist and Hitler tells him like, Hey man, I'm going to bring back the King of Bavaria and you can be his envoy to the government. Isn't that like your dream? Um, It's cool, right? Yeah. It'll be sweet, dude. Come on, bro. So uh, they resist um, Carr and, and Lasso and everyone like they're not they're not on board with this. And before very long, Hitler did what Hitler's do, and he starts threatening to murder them at gunpoint. Sheesh. Now, it's Ludendorff, naturally. who like when the occupation of the beer hall starts, Ludendorff, like some Nazis show up at his house and are like, hey, you know that thing you kind of agreed to? We're doing yeah. it. Yeah. And Ludendorff, like, shows up and is like, OK, I guess we'll see if this works. And he's kind of horrified by Hitler's behavior because Ludendorff is a. He's like a classic Imperial German manners dude right there are mm. ways in which you tr- especially these people are nobles yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah you don't yeah. you don't point a gun in their face right yeah, like that's yeah. very gauche and he's yeah. he's not he doesn't like Hitler in a lot of ways because Hitler's a fucking you know a, a kind of a peon to him Yeah, like, a low not a noor but yeah. he's not you know he's 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 gotten acclimatized to being in high society yeah. Hitler is very much crude um damn and Ludendorff's kind of like horrified by this, but he's in—he's still on board with the general plan because he wants uh-huh. to take over the government and institute a right-wing military dictatorship. And eventually, now that once Ludendorff shows up too, these guys, Carr and and Lasso and Saiser, kind of agree to help the putsch and agree to like basically put the uh the the powers of the Bavarian state behind Hitler's putsch attempt. Okay, and they they didn't really mean it, but a guy was threatening to murder them, so they're like, yeah. all right, yeah. Hell yeah, whatever okay. you want, bro, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, while this was happening, different armed groups of Nazis were out capturing key parts of the city. The Bavarian War Ministry was taken by Ernst Rome and his men, including young Heinrich Himmler, uh, and they proceeded to fortify it. Another group of 400 stormtroopers was sent to take guns and equipment from the army engineer barracks. Now, this is a very fun story because these okay. Nazis all show up, and the captain on duty, who's like in charge of handing out guns and stuff, they're like, hey, we're here to do maneuvers, can we borrow the guns? Um, and the captain realizes something is very fishy and is like, (laughs) You can use the guns, but you can't go on maneuvers outside. You got to show up inside in like the big gymnasium. And then I'll hand you the guns there and you can do your maneuvers inside. And Uh so all 400 Nazis go into the gymnasium and he locks it from the outside.
0: Brilliant.
5: Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: like Uh, one of the
5: oldest tricks in the book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah, Come here. Come here, bro. Yeah, yeah. I got you. It's right here. No, no, yeah. Everybody's going there. (laughs) Yeah. Right inside this door. I got you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. This guy's name should be remembered. His name is Captain Oscar Kanzler and he he rule he he saves the german state that night he probably.
5: definitely stays the german uh, state at least right. for a yeah. little while you know yeah. it didn't
2: last but he did his bit Um, So the Nazis who were locked inside couldn't call Hitler to let him know they had the guns and were ready to take part in the putsch. And Hitler was waiting for that call. Right. He's got teams going out and seizing places in the city. And he realizes, like, these dudes haven't called in from the barracks yet. Right. Something Mm -hmm. must be wrong. And this was a key part of his intricate plan. Uh, And he knew. So this kind of puts Hitler in a bind. Um, He knew that. The triumvirate were not enthusiastic about this plan. And if, mm-hmm. if he was going to keep them enthusiastic and like kind of force them to be enthusiastic, his men in, were going to have to be in total control of the city, right? If he could if he could really be in charge in Munich, they weren't going to fight him. They'd give the army the orders yeah, to yeah, go yeah, along yeah. with it, right? Because they don't want to die. Uh-huh. But he's got to actually be in charge. And making his first critical mistake, Hitler decides it's necessary for him to leave the Burger beer hall late that night to see what's going on at the engineering barracks Ooh. and he leaves Ludendorff alone with the triumvirate. Uh-oh. This was a bad call. Uh-oh. So Hitler and his Nazis know these guys are captives. He knows yeah. that he's holding them against their will. He knows that if they're agreeing, it's they're not really that on board with the idea. Ludendorff Again, is kind of not being told the entire truth about what's happening, and he thinks these guys are fellow German patriots, right? Uh-oh. Um, and he also thought they looked tired. You know, it's been a long <laughs> night, and he's like, "Do you guys want to go home and like take a nap or something?" And they're like, "Yeah, we would like to go home." And he's Actually, like, "All right, bro, yeah, man, you guys are German officers. I, as a German officer, know that no German officer would ever lie. Give me your word of honor that you'll come back to help us finish the coup tomorrow." <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah 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 we'll be back what time we'll be yeah they say of course we'll come back of course bro now, what time what time like 10 yeah, yeah be good. We, when you win a coup yeah we <laughs> want punch all good. this yeah we'll see you in the morning
2: <laughs> yeah so some of the nazis there are nazis in the room too and they see yeah. ludendorff doing this and they're like dude they're not gonna come back <laughs> and ludendorff gets pissed at them and he's like i forbid anyone in this room from doubting the word of a german officer yes! how dare you <laughs> <laughs> so fun, also, was, yeah, So no. when,
5: when i was a kid uh you know the the like the 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 clue you was about to get knocked out but robbed by somebody was like hey 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 can i borrow your phone right quick let me use your phone <laughs> and yeah we'll, you would look and be like don't get that man your phone do mm-hmm. not walk over there and get at me. Man- what are you talking about man you just want to borrow my phone oh, don't give him your phone yeah don't and, give him your phone what do you you keep walking bro like hey hey man come on let me just use it right quick mm-hmm. no man like <laughs> so you're like no, Yo, what, you, what are you what are you what are you doing what are you doing Ah, oh, well there it is now you're now you're sleeping mm-hmm. he just put you to sleep and you're barefoot <sighs> the guy just stole your shoes I told mm-hmm. you not to. Yeah. So that's yeah. totally funny. Like the guys in the room saying, yeah, the boss is like, yo, let him go take a nap. And the dudes yeah. are like, hey, I don't think that's a good idea, man. You really think hey. they're going to come back? Like, I don't think <laughs> they're going to come back. Hey, boss, maybe you shouldn't let them leave.
2: <laughs> you kind of see in this why Ludendorff didn't win the war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like,
5: I don't think a good idea, coach.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey boss, <laughs> this, this might not be the plan. I, so that is where we're going to leave it uh, in part one. Uh, General Ludendorff, the genius of German military Brilliant. tactics is just let everyone go that he needs in order to make Most his push trustworthy work. trustworthy man like, ever. Germans don't lie. German officers don't lie. Um, yeah. Which I'll spoilers, bring back coffee. I, I swear to you, yeah. I'm coming back. I'll bring back oh, coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Tons of coffee. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to push the hell out of this state. Yeah, just dude, it's all give good. me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> let me get a nap. Um, <laughs> Prop, you want to oh, plug yes. any pluggables before we roll out and then I you know, do, part man. Two?
5: I do. Yeah, you can follow me on all the things, Prop Hip Hop. Got a podcast called Hood Politics with Prop that um I'm giving all the good takes uh and um I got some t-shirts and music. I got a lot of music rolling out this year so I can't wait to show y'all that. Props merch and, uh, is
4: like the highest quality. Like his, I I wear his shirts all the time. Yeah, I try to. They're so- and they're
5: all they're all like they're all like, you know, uh Ethically sourced and
4: that thick, recyclable thick, material. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So that's yep. me.
4: Highly recommend.
2: And you can find me somewhere on the internet if if you first hold me in your heart, but only then, only yeah. if I am with you that can you cool. find me. All right. You can follow
4: me on Twitter. I'm at yeah, a- I a- yeah. underscore sophie underscore y. I was just yeah. a happy plug for myself, shamelessly. Oh, you yeah, should, dude. Hi, nah.
2: Uh, and uh, yeah, check out Sophie. Check out Prop. Find me in your heart, and come back on Thursday to hear the thrilling conclusion of Push, Push, Tabulous. Push there it is. I don't know. You I know didn't, what I'm saying. Yeah. Push there it is. There you go. Push there you go. There you go. it. There you go. There you go.
0: Yes. I, All right. it. <laughs> Bazam. Yes. Okay. yes.